um, period. And it's just, uh, we know what happens when we have an over digestion of sugar. It kills out a tremendous amount of very important bacteria and fungi within our gut, you know, and really leading it to a dead gut in the same way that it will lead a soil to dead soil um, with overgrowth of yeast and pathogenic fungi. So, uh, you know, my suggestion for everybody here in this room is to stop eating sugar and uh, don't be using it in your teas either. But that's just my opinion. Sugar is the only thing on our food labels that they don't have to put a suggested daily value. And that was done by lobbyists in Washington, D.C., saying there's actually not good for you. We don't want to put a suggested daily value because it wouldn't look good for our industry. <laughs> so that was paid and bought that you'll never see a suggested daily value of the sugar on your food labels. Damn, that's, that's gangster right there. <laughs> <laughs> Next question here. So in using these homeopathic and balanced methods of cultivation like KNF, Hugel, et cetera, What's your opinions on utilizing targeted stressors at appropriate times to increase cannabinoid or terpene productions without overstressing your biological life in your soil, uh, such as you had touched on slightly with over and under watering and targeted stressors like that? But I want to know what other methods you might have um, for creating the biomimicry of these stressors without having the negative repercussions upon the soil that we're working so hard to create. My answer is all at, at uh, seedling age. So giving a seedling even a, you know, whatever you can handle, whatever stage you're going to do it at, giving them a dry out. If you're going to transplant, do, do a soil wash and do a, a one-hour dry out, and then do you soak them in an SES. So that's vinegar, FPJ, OHN. Um, it gives them a bunch of minor nutrients. They'll suck it up like a sponge because they, they've been a little pulled down in water stress. And then you put them into a microbial-rich environment. And that um, they, they, you're basically sending your, your kid to school with all the sweet fruit and stuff to share with his friends. And, 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 and they're, uh, they're, they're making friends because they're, they're full of minor minerals and nutrients. So... So it's, it's a, it's a pre-stress and that's all about them saying, I'm not going to focus on foliar in the first few, you know, weeks of my life. I'm going to focus on roots. That happens. Your plant's going to go nuts. Yeah. So that's, that's my only input. I mean, I think the world's already a tough place. Like shit, you know, cannabis, cannabis is like already not supposed to grow in a lot of regions that we're growing it in. We're taking a really, you know, equatorial or really high region plant and we're forcing it into greenhouses and into indoor situations. And already with the growing practices that we have, we already have so many stressors on the plant. I don't think that it's important to add extra stressors. I think that just our relationship as humans to plants, we're already gonna fuck something up along the way on accident anyway. So you can already count that as like, you know, your five fuck up stressors, you know, in the grow, that that's gonna already add terpenes. You know, that's our relationship. You know, we can't have it all perfect. So I don't think that we need to add anything. We're already gonna do it naturally. 
um, if I was to add something, I would go reset button. Hit it with a little anaerobic. Um, you know, force things to start to shift gears, uh, create diversity. Chris touched on it. Um, I think that that's really valuable, to, uh, the die-out cycle. Um, years ago, I did a study on the moon cycle's effect on the biological activity in the soil, and it popped my cork. Um, so this is naturally occurring in nature. So if we, again, biomimic, uh, you want to you wanna stress your plant a little bit, hit it with some anaerobic shit. But, you know, not on a regular basis. This is, you know, again, I'm not sure how to use this tool because I grow soil, not plants. So I defer to these guys, but if in my common sense view of it, that would probably be my reset button or my stressor. Yeah, um, I think partly climatizing your strains is a stressor in itself. You know what I Kelly kind of talked about it and whatnot. And is so the um, I I don't know. I mean, I think that breeding you know might be really important for certain things like that. But I agree like things happen inside, things happen outside, and, and um, I think it's nice to just give your plants love and let them get up and do their best and hope for the best. That's what I'm gonna say. <laughs> no stress, no stress. <laughs> stress is good, actually. <laughs> because they're strong. And when you, when you breed and you want to create a plant that is really adapted to your region, you need to follow the full cycle of the plant. You cannot take the seed, put them in a drawer in the winter, two or three days in the fridge, so that they know winter went by before you start germinating. If you leave those seeds outside, whatever thrive from that natural growth, your, how do you call that, volunteers, okay? Those are the ones you want to breed with. Those are the ones that can survive, that survive the winter, that grew by themselves and thrive in the worst condition. You never give water and stuff like that. That plant is already one step closer to be part of that region than the one you babysit. And if you do that after a few generations, well, you have heirloom genetic. There is nothing that should touch them. I have never seen all the problems you have in any producing country in the world. They, and they grow under really harsh conditions. In the Himalayan mountain, you have tropical day. It's uh, in the 90. It's really cold at night because it's the Himalaya and you are at 9,000 feet. There is so much water in the morning, you can take a shower under those plants. I have never seen PM. Okay, the, the life underground must be very special to keep them that healthy. But those plants thrive in those conditions and because they're born there. And I went to a valley for seven seasons in a row and I didn't want a cultivated plant, I wanted wild cannabis. So I rented my field uh, from one season to the other ahead of time. From big uh, pine tree, seven, eight footer, after three years I had five footer that were, uh, war that were uh, growing like very, very close to each other. 
and I had a diversity that was really amazing. They were much stronger. I had much more resin given to me by this plant than the one cultivated. And they're only, they break the ground, they throw the seeds at the raining season when it's good. The difference between those plants and genetic seeds from that specific place, uh, it's day and night. So it's like, yeah, you, you're harsh on them, but it makes them stronger. So if you play harsh on your breeding, well, when you babysit those one, they're going to explode. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And, um, you know, starting your seeds, like we always start our seeds just right in our soil, right in our soil that's from our land. And, you know, maybe if it's like a seed which we just got from someone from 1960s from Colombia, that might be different, you know. But, but, um, but to start our seeds like in our soil, not baby them, totally agree. That's a beautiful stress. That's like a beautiful climatized thing. That's like, you know, hey, if you're going to live in my area, you know, this is what my, my <laughs> world's like, you know. And even and even with clones, you know, we, we know with clones and, and, and growing them and starting them in your soil and in your living soil, which really goes against all of the whole cloning, like sterilization thing, you know, which I, I really don't think is maybe is not the future. I think maybe the future is living soil clones and clone beds and getting those roots popped out and just smart right away um, and then ready to grow. So I guess it's abuse your children. <laughs> carefully and lovingly yeah but you know what Frenchie was saying is he's talking about volunteers and when you have volunteers that are coming up they're really super intelligent they're ready for that zone and region they're the ones that are not experiencing the stress they're the ones that are not being potted from some other area from some other soil into another that's stress so yeah like it climatization and, and, and intelligently, you know, breeding and long-term breeding, not, not maybe indoor breeding, but breeding on your property and, and, and looking at it like, oh, I'm going to take this plant that's so amazing and I'm going to make it more intelligent. And, you know, Josh touched on, you know, the future of, in sterilization. And we talk about, you know, reclaiming these genetics that are sick and that have, you know, primarily different deep fungi infections and diseases from us passing them around and people are using tissue cultures to clean these um, different varietals. Well, I'd really like to see the science on taking these varietals and putting them in really deep soil beds and allowing microbiology to do the cleansing because I don't know if sterilization is really all that clean. I think that we have a lot of pathogens that come in from sterilization and anyway, I went off on a tangent but on that, but so I'll leave it there. All right, moving around. Hi. Um, the, the brown sugar kind of thing, um, instead of using the brown sugar, can you actually can you use pine cone? Because pine cone is pine brown cone. sugar. Oh. So is sap. Pitch, yeah. There's not very much actual, uh, there's a lot of um, polysaccharides in that, but there's not a lot of sweetness in pitch or sap that's from a tree. It has a sweetness, but it's not the same type of sweetness as like a sugar. So when you eat the pitch or you taste pitch, it's actually quite astringent and bitter. It doesn't have that same sort of sugar, carbohydrate quality 
as sugars, and it, is, it takes a long time for it to break down. You need solvents like, a, like an alcohol or, or something to help break down that pine pitch. Uh, water won't do it. Yeah. Is it the, the cone, like, like the actual, the pine cone, are you talking about what makes the pine cone sweet? Is the pitch inside of it or the seeds, the pine nuts that are inside of it? No, what makes it's it from sweet? The tree. It falls off well when you get it. Because my dog got into it and he was like hyper running around. <laughs> so I was like, it's sugar. It's brown sugar. It's brown sugar. It's yeah, it's a, different, it's a different type of sugar than what we're talking about with um, uh, like, like a sucrose or a fructose or, or, a, or a monosaccharide sweet type of a sugar. And, and if we're talking about the, the natural farming ferments with brown yeah. sugar, um, it's, yeah. it's actually the osmotic pressure we want as much as the sweetness or more. It's it's the dryness of the sugar that yanks on um, some of the waters in the plants, and uh, and then there's a very controlled fermentation. So what you're doing instead of because if you drop plants in water um, and just leave it, it'll break down, it'll ferment, but it's a um, very different fermentation. So the the equal weights brown sugar is specific to the water content of the plant and that super controlled or slow uh, fermentation which keeps intact your beneficial biochemicals and plant growth hormones um, instead of exploding all that. So. Anybody else want in on that? Um, what he's talking about with the sugars, it's kind of like salt. Um, you guys all know what salt nutrients are. Well, the salt is the vehicle. So it's the way of getting that nitrogen and NPK into the plant and slow releasing it. If you gave the nitrogen, the NPK into the plant directly, it would wash through the soil profile. So you would lose it or it would gas off, very volatile. Um, so I don't know why your dog reacted that way. You know, maybe, maybe he enjoyed gnawing on it and, and tearing it apart. Uh, but my gut feeling is as such a woody thing, because pine cones are extremely woody. Um, I've composted pine cones to see what happens, and they take forever to break down. Um, and similar, yes, yeah, it's, it's a really hard, yeah, hard, carb, hard carbon, hard lignin. And lignin is, lignin is good for plant development, but again, you want to find an easier source of lignin to break down than, than pine cones. Um, peanut shells will work better. They actually uh, hold like water in them and the biology sits in that little peanut cup and breaks it down a lot quicker than a pine cone would. But um, <clears throat> so anyway, I'm not sure why your dog did it, but perhaps he just really enjoyed <laughs> gnawing on that. <laughs> Anybody else? Okay, next question. So we live along a river in Trinity County where the mm -hmm. summer days can be 100 to 110 and we have gravel soil and it's really difficult to uh, increase the humus in that soil. I've built compost for decades, and at the end of the year, it's pretty much just gone. And seeing the slides today from Chip with the huge particles, you know, I understand what's happening. Um, so 
trying to figure out what's a good way to try to work with gravel soil. Gravel soil? Do you want to help on that one? Say it quiet. The diversity. All right, so, so basically she's asking how best to work with gravel soils. Um, so basically she's been adding compost. I assume it's kind of moving through the system too quickly and she ends up with gravel at the end of the year instead of a, uh, a good soil system. So the good news is that that river rock or that gravel is, is an amazingly diverse group of minerals. So now how do we slow it down? All right. Um, one of the things I did years ago was study riverbeds and stream beds. And if you notice, like all the rocks are at the top, but as you dig down, it gets into sand. So wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. You know, why, why are the big stuff on the top and the small stuff on the bottom? Um, I met a guy that built stone walls years ago, a real old timer, and he always used the littlest stones on the bottom and the biggest stones on the top. He was biomimicking. So I would suggest you do the same thing. So now you want to add different layers and courses of different sieve size sand and, and smaller gravel and pebbles to kind of block those pores, to kind of lock it up. And then you're going to rely on that, what we call alluvial layer, to help support the organic or the A horizon above it. Because again, you really want to build that A horizon. You want those sand, silt, and clays in there and then the organic matter on top. So my suggestion would be to add, add some gravel and sand in those pores and build it up until it reaches the surface and then start adding your compost or better yet, some sand, silt, and clay mixed with organic matter so that, that you get that water retention. And again, the sand will slow that migration down into those gravels. But again, it's, you have an amazing system, the sheer fact that you're on what we call a watershed because you're pulling minerals from the whole mountain down. Uh, so you, it's, it's an unusual and, uh, and very diverse mineral pool. You agree with that? I'm sorry? I second that emotion. I think the first thing is to create a substruct. So you create the substruct or the construct, then you then you can add the biology. Yep. I w and also, I would just add like going up and mounding and creating dimension. So like you you do what everything that was just mentioned there, and that's super important and beautiful. But 
to then get into like logs and rocks and start creating dimension and getting up and then getting into not too much wood chips but wood chips and then start getting into uh, King's Trafaria and garden giants and mycology and start getting active larger strands of mycelium going through because that mycelium is going to really be what bonds together all of the um, all of the carbon and all that and then being able to add weeds and and uh, different um, you know carbon you know I mean uh, more green matter to it you know so it doesn't get too carbon the carbon nitrogen ratio is uh, super important and then you'll really see how that'll transform in between I mean it'll transform over the year the bottom of what's underneath it and then if you mound and do lines next to each other you, you have the dimension then you can that whole aisle can become like you can just throw amazing amount of material on the aisles in the summer and guaranteed by two one year of doing like crazy mulching, you're gonna have like serious amounts of soil and it will not go down because that the, the, the structure of the, the wood and all of the mycology and also it'll filter all the water and totally keep all your nutrients in there and stuff. So I would just go up, mound, build, layer, lasagna. Mound mob gardening is what we're calling it. Mob gardeners. Nice. And I do wanna add one thing, he's spot on. All right, we know that about 780 million years ago that aquatic fungi, yeah, a couple million, uh, was finally f found in the fossil records. So we know now that aquatic fungi began the terrestrial population of the planet at that point. And we know for sure that the first major planets or plants on this planet were giant mushrooms. And they were the things that created the first organic matter that made way for future plants to begin to colonize the surface of the earth. It's all about the mushrooms and the logs. Logs are mushroom food. So eat mushrooms. Eat, eat mushrooms. <laughs> we had a we had a discussion about it last year, and so I went to check my mushroom like crazy. And me, what I found out, it's the lichen that first broke rocks that gave the soil for the mushroom to actually create the first roots. And then they, they brought the life. But before the mushrooms, the lichen were there to break down the mineral that the mushroom could, uh, but like she made me study mushroom like crazy <laughs> because we had such a discussion about it. I had to know more about it. And uh, that movie is amazing. Fantastic fungi. Um, also, when you get a really healthy mycology body happening and then you get the fruiting bodies, you start getting a lot of cold CO2 and CO2 that stays near the ground, which is super good for the plants to, to soak up. So you're just environment. It's a big environment. Yeah, I was blessed enough to hang out down at Biosphere 2 a couple years, well, a few years back. And they were actually growing what he was talking about, is different types of lichen on rock. Like, they were growing plants on rock. And with nothing, no, f no water. They, they was grown in a Sonoran-style desert. And he was having great success in getting plants to colonize bare granite. And so he's absolutely right, and I think that both of these play into it. 
Uh, I'm not sure. We don't know. There's not enough fossil record to prove this one way or another. Perhaps they were colonizing equally. Uh, but we do know for sure, finally, as of 2019, that, that we have in the fossil record 780 million years ago the first terrestrial fungi fossil. Oh, I know. All, all science. Again, you guys, all this shit's going to change next year. We're, we're learning so fast. It's not funny. So we know we have some pins, some dots on the chart, and those dots may move one way or the other. Uh, that one may move back even further. Uh, we know Gonawanda happened in 180 million years ago, and that was the separation of the supercontinents. And that, that really changed the whole game. Um, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not going to tangent on this one. I, I, please, take it away. I'll just hold it. Somebody else has <laughs> another question. Real quick, I would just apply IMO, mulch, <laughs> mulch it, do a, do a thin layer of mulch, and then get some plants growing now. So, so plant, we'd plant corn or plant something that doesn't need a lot to get, you know, two feet high, and then whack it down and just keep mowing that for, for but the, the, the photosynthesis, the, the relationship that those plants that you planted will create with the microbes that you apply is what breaks down the, the you know, fungi mine mineral. And so the only ones that can eat that rock are, are, you know. And the cool thing is because it's rock from your area, there's microbes just up the hill that'll that'll chew on it. So, yeah. And you can grow mycorrhizal fungi. You can grow mycorrhizal fungi on those plants. You know, you can choose Sudanese sorghum grasses or different grasses and different things that colonize mycorrhizal fungi in your bed. So then when you go to plant your seed, there's a really already a strong web and then everything just transfers onto the new roots. All right, we're going to finish with this one. Um, you know, let's look forward for a second, right? So all of you are thought leaders in your particular area. And, you know, there was a time before there was rosin, right? And then rosin came out and we're all like, the hell, right? And then there was a time before people were talking about KNF, and now like people can't stop talking about KNF, right? So like, what are you, each of you, seeing now, which is like on the edge? Like I'm talking about like like you know, like stuff that people consider hocus pocus, like biodynamics and things like, like like where it's like this is probably there's probably something to this, but like it's not common knowledge yet, so it's not it's a thing, but it's not everybody's thing yet. But you think it might be everybody's thing. So, so if you'd each name one thing that you see coming in the future that we should be on uh, alert for, that would be cool. And we'll finish with that. Uh, the coolest thing that I learned this year uh, was a whole new line of biology. Uh, there was a lady who was studying forest fires in California who actually documented protozoa and bacteria living in smoke ash and amber coming from the forest fires and being transported across the globe. Look at what's going on in Australia right now. All right, so this is a whole brand new line of biological study as of 2019, and that and those nitrifying bacteria are what I'm gonna be keeping my eyes open on. I'm really interested in the endophytic reaction within plants, so, um, just like our cells are living inside of our bodies and they're being generated by actual living organisms that we now know, um, you know, in each cell, there's living organisms within the cells of the plants. 
and these endophytes are actually fungi that are inside of the plants having a reaction. And um, I think that we're studying ratios of terpenes and ratios of uh, cannabinoids and what's going on with the soil, but soon we're going to be able to split open the plant and look at the amount of uh, different types of endophytes that are within the plant and what types of feces, uh, species they are and how they work together. And um, we're gonna be trying to up our numbers of endophytes. So I really encourage everybody here to start learning about what living organisms are happening inside of the plant, not just uh, the environment outside of the plant. So I'm really interested in that. And I think that also one thing that I'm noticing um, uh, that's, that's sort of, I, I guess it's, it's something that humanity has always had, but it's really, you know, creeping its way into the cannabis industry, and that's dogma. And um, I think that uh, no matter what you decide that you want to use, whether it's KNF or whether it's natural farming or, you know, whatever types of, you know, hugel culturing, cold compost, hot compost, uh, what types of teas that you want to make, you know, I think that it's important to not be so totally dogmatic that I always do it this way, and I am only gonna do it this way, and I think that opening our mind and realizing that this plant is an adaptogenic plant, and we are also adaptogens on this planet, and we can change our mind. And like everything that I just said, I can change my mind in five minutes from now and say, hey, I don't really believe in that anymore, and I think that that's okay, too to just really keep an open mind about how we can always be better and not hold attachments to, uh, you know, finite things. Yeah, we gotta grow. Um, there's a really cool study in Japan. They found that the cypress um, tree there has a specific variety of microbes that take rainwater, keep it from turning into nitrites and nitrates, and uh, process it to ammonium. And then there's a, um, a specific um, microbial process that completely stops all nitrification. And so the plant is using the rain to, uh, through the leaves, inoculate its own nitrogen food and feed itself specifically ammonium. Um, and whereas the rainwater that falls just outside of the leaf layer goes into nitrification and does the normal process. And so I think the each plant, um, f its primary feeder roots are in the drip zone uh, in the, in the um, and I think what thrives on the surface of each individual crop is directly suited to um, feed itself. You know, you look at all these plants and, you know, their little, you know, vases that funnel water to their core and then drop it down into the root areas. And um, I think the microbes that thrive in unique environments are something we're going to start to learn about. And, and uh, so, yeah wild cannabis and, and what, it's, what it's dropping in its drip zone, what's cultured on that surface will be interesting stuff. That's um, playing with.
And I just wanted to say super quick, the reason why I also feel that endophytes are really important is because Taxol was found in yew trees. And what they found about the medicine in Taxol is they went crazy back in the mid-90s just cutting down tons of yew trees for the Taxol. And what they found was that it was the endophytic reaction within the cambium layer of the tree that was actually creating the Taxol. And I personally believe that it is the endophytic reaction within the plants that's creating the medicine. Um, I really want to give um, thanks to my the deaf community over here. Sorry, uh, you just <laughs> walked out. <laughs> I think the future is in connecting people, and I think it's really amazing that we have this this community here, and and you know we're learning how to create new language through sign language through these regenerative principles. We're learning these languages in our own. English as we're speaking and they're creating them in sign language right now and, and they're going to bring that to the world and being able to connect with anyone from anywhere in the world and not just being from California or Oregon or Washington or where or Canada or something you know I think just being from earth you know and maybe there's you know aliens too and that's fine but we're <laughs> we're <laughs> we're on earth now and it's and it's good um, so, but thank you. Give thanks. Um, I would also like to say that I really, um, I, there has been a lot of talk about structuring water and water structure and how that can affect plants. And I think the plants are water and structure and vibration is truly key. And I think that us putting meditation spaces in our gardens is important and creating space to not just be working, but just to be sitting and watching birds cruise around and, and see bees. Find out how many pollinators you can, you can count, because like if you get, and another thing, too many pollinating plants, like just way more than you ever thought you could ever have, and then you realize how balanced your environment gets. And so I think the future is in polyculture, which we already know about, but more of it, and, and learning more about biodiversity. But energies and crystals and crystal energy and planting by the moon, of course the plant is going to be better when we plant it on a water sign or if we clip on a, on a fire sign or if we want to do whatever it is or on a clip on a, on a water sign depending what we want to do. But I also just want to say that we want to put out a challenge and, and a fun thing for everyone this year, which is get a really sweet crystal and plant your seed right over the crystal or get a small plant and grow it and then put your plant right over the crystal. And so the, the bigger the plant, the better for the long season big plant. And then when the plant grows, it's going to grow around the crystal and totally hug and grab the crystal. And it's going to put energy up, feeding the trichomes, making the resin bigger, better hash. <laughs> Heading up with my man Wook Sauce over here, he's going to be stoked. Um, and then at the end of the year, you can pull your staff up and you can see your crystal and we can all walk at the end of the year and put our crystal staffs together and smoke ganja. Woo! For me, I have been living in paradise since I came to California because I'm at the end of the chain. I, I work with what the plant produces to protect itself. So it's like the, the history of the plant life with the outside world. 
the healthier you make the plant and the, the more diverse the place of it grows, the most powerful, the more powerful the resin gland are. I work with all that love, it's mine to capture and create something that is different from what the plant gave me. So I'm basically at the end of a chain like that, but a farmer, I can recognize Minjin, Leo, Swami, there is a few farmers I work with, doesn't matter what they grow. There is that signature, it's them that have grown them, doesn't matter the genetic. The, so it's like, there is, there is what the land and the climate are giving you, there is a genetic, there is all the food and all the stuff you do, and there is a dude or the woman that take care of the plant. If one year there is no good vibe, uh, a breaking up of uh, the girlfriend or some story like that, well, the quality of the resin is going to be radically different than the year, the year before where every, no, I swear to God, the, like breaking up, the difference of the quality of the resin, whoa, <laughs> really, when there is that much love, when there is, man, it's like, I know I get it from you, it's like, I know when you're happy and uh, you made your plant happy. But well, this is something that the first thing that the resin is telling me when I start touching it. So it's like that wall, it's very spiritual and overboard and hippie stuff, but plants are alive. It's like when our ancestors were thinking that plants were spirit, dude, they're alive. They have 500 million years of evolution on us. They move every mobile living organism move at the so at the what when the plant wants all the terp everything you smell it's the plant making everything happen on a planet the very air we breathe is the plant giving it to us there is twenty thousand organic compound in the tricon that the plant kingdom hold they can do anything they want to us. And with the way we fuck up longer, we're just pollinators on this planet. And if we don't pollinate good, well, we, they're going to get rid of us. <laughs> I'd just like to give thanks to all you out there. There's a lot of really amazing people out there. You know, we're up here right now, but really we're all just one you know, big, beautiful, happy family, and I just really appreciate you. I really appreciate all you up here on this panel. Give thanks for this opportunity to live here right now in this world. And Shango, a big, big ups to Shango, all right? Like, I, I just grabbed his happy ass. Birthday. Yeah, happy birthday! Uh, I just want to thank him. He jumped in, you know, uh, things got a little bit kind of quirky, but I think we had a, a fun night. I think, you know, you guys got some questions out. You, you saw our passion and diversity. And again, that was thanks to Shango for the questions and, and hosting. Right thank on. You, thanks. Bob. I got three quick things before you bounce. Number one. Um, so I was like, all right, I won't have to do anything else tonight. I'm going to smoke this whole joint by myself during dinner. I come down. I sit down. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to wear my sunglasses and sit here. And Lane's all like, 
hey. <laughs> <laughs> Bro. So luckily this is a forgiving uh, group of folks. So, so number one, let's give thanks to our panelists, Chris and Kelly and Leighton and Josh and Camille, right? And then um, number two, um, you know, we don't have like a cleaning crew that's going through here after us, right? So if you see anything around your seat, on your way to your car, wherever you're going, if you like grab it and help with that, because like we are a regenerative family, right? So do that. And then number three, um, you know, we all like to drag a little ass in the morning. But, you know, if you can try to be here and in your seat at 9 o'clock, it means that we can have a more full day tomorrow and stay on time, which we had a hard time doing today because everybody was kind of taking – doing on stoner time, right? So so if you can be here, like, in seating at 9 o'clock, that would be really fantastic. Did you have something that you wanted? All right, well, thank you for the cheer. All right, everybody have a safe time. Thank you, Seasons. We'll see you tomorrow. Good night, everybody.